Welcome back, Rebels. You've been writing a lot of things down lately. I've been watching you. I've been noticing. Have you? Yeah, I always, um, well, as we record episodes, I quite often, if I have a thought, just as a way to like keep it in my head so I know what I'm going to say next, I always like write it down. Um, that's obviously like when you talk and say really great things. If I write something down and then I don't actually get onto that question, it allows me to, as a go away later, to then like be able to look back at what I wrote there. Often it is a, a really scribbly mess that sometimes I can't work out because it's like I'm going to write one word down and that's going to keep this specific thought in my head currently. But then when I come back, I was like, why the hell have I written this down? I just, I, I have no idea what that means at all. Yeah, I've kind of learned now that when I have a thought, for, well, firstly, when I have a thought, I have to write it down because I'm always like, I'll remember that later. And then I never, ever, yeah. ever re- remember it later. So I, I'm, I've now trained myself that as soon as I have the thought, it's like, don't just hold that in your head, go and write it in your notes now. And the other thing is that I, I'm now making sure that I'm really explicit with what I write down. And sometimes I'll write down a quote and I'll be like, oh, I'll remember who said that. Yeah. But then I write exactly who it was because I never do remember. So I think we're also optimistic about the future and the performance of our own brains. And I've come to learn that my own brain is rubbish. <laughs> so I need to give it all the crutches that it needs. But um, but it's, it's really interesting because it's it's something that I've noticed over the past like sort of maybe six months that... I just noticed that you're always writing down and I, I was just wondering if you're like, are you doing that more during the day or is it just during podcasts? So it's like, are you are you finding that writing notes is, is becoming more of a daily habit? I wouldn't say it's a daily habit in terms of I do it every day. I think it's now more of a habit of when I need to remember something or if I have an interesting thought, I'll write it down. But what I also do is I ask myself questions as well. So if I'm like, if I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. And I'm like, oh, that could be something that's really worth thinking about, or that could become, even like it could become a little post on Instagram stories. So like yesterday, I just put up like a little thing that I've just been thinking about um, as a bit of like Monday motivation to my audience. And I was like, yeah, this is something that I feel like will give my audience value. Um, So yeah, what I quite often do is I'll basically write down anything that I find kind of interesting. If I'm, if there's something that I'm like, oh, this could be related to that but I don't have the mindset to like think about that right now. So for example, I was reading a book the other day and whilst kind of reading that, I was like, oh, that's really interesting, but I don't want to stop reading this book. So it's like, I could stop right now, go and go deep into that, but then I would kind of like lose what I'm talking about in this book. So it's almost like a, like putting like a little sticker in a page to like come back to it later. I think that's kind of like what I've started to do mentally. Just like, yeah, have lots of little things that, even if I'm just like sat on a train and I'm like, oh shit, I've got my headphones. I can go through my little list of things that I've written down and then just start to just formulate my own thoughts around something a bit more. Uh, and I feel like quite often some of like my best ideas and stuff come from those little notes where I've been like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'm going to write that down. Uh, and even for like, so what we do with this uh, show when it's just two of us, we like we'll have a list each that we'll kind of like curate over months or time and I've just now started to got one big list that I can just at any point go through and I'll be like oh I want a bit of something to talk about uh, so there's probably something that's caught my attention there and also I think it's a good way to kind of think about just content in general like if something interests you there's a good chance that it'll interest your audience as well so I think it's important to firstly notice things that you find interesting because then that means that you're in audience might find it interesting too so it's understanding yourself because if you understand how your own brain works there's a good chance you understand a portion of your audience and how their brain works as well Uh, and then the second part is just yeah if you struggle to find content 
Like you experience so many things that interest you every day. If it's made me stop and write it down, there's a good chance that that could really interest someone else as well and make them stop whilst listening to us and write that down too. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, having notes can just be so beneficial. And I think, yeah, getting into that like habit, like not necessarily a daily habit, but just the habit of, of this is interesting. If you don't have time to fully formulate it there, then write it down and come back to it and do it later. Yeah, because it's really about the making those connections because you start at one point and I suppose your notes are the start point. And then as you further explore that idea, you come to conclusions and you and everything starts to get threaded together. And and I think when we interview authors on the show, they're they're the people who have their ideas the most formulated because they've gone through it. They've written a book about a certain topic. So they know what they think about it. And it's like the other day we were doing an intro and uh, and I text you afterwards and I was like, that was not a good intro because I I haven't formulated my thoughts on that topic properly yeah. yet. So, uh, so I was like, I was like clutching. I was like, is this what I think? I'm not sure. And I was in real time, I was going down that connective journey of like, this leads to this leads to this in my own head. But I hadn't, if I'd, if I'd done that on paper beforehand, I would have already made those connections and I would have already had the the thought fully formed. I think it's interesting what you were saying there about your, and this this will probably take the conversation in a different route, but what you were saying about giving value to the audience and writing down those those little things. Because I think when you, if you just open your phone and you're like, right, I'm going to say something to my audience, it's like, well, what, what the fuck? Yeah. It's a blank page. You could start from anywhere. It's really difficult. So it's always nice to have those little notches to go back to of like, okay, well, th- I could start talking about this. Um, and it made me think of a post that, that I saw this week that was really, really interesting that was talking about how much people sell on social media. And he was like, if you're asking for people to like and interact with your work, that's selling. If you're asking them to buy your book, that's selling. If you're asking them to follow you, that's selling. And he went through Tim Ferriss's Twitter. Out of the last seven tweets that Tim Ferriss had sent out, six of them were asking his audience to do something, be it sign up to his mailing yeah. list, buy his book, listen to his podcast. And he was like, I mean, Tim Ferriss is, is one thing because he's Tim Ferriss. But if you're you and you're not Tim Ferriss, this is probably not the route to go down. And it really made me think of of like how much we are asking from people because I see it all the time. And I, well, I see it all the time. We all see it all the time, 24-7, like 100% of the time, there is someone who is, clamoring for our attention and they're like they want you to consume their product they i mean so much of it is down to money if i look out of this window now i can see like six billboards just in my line of sight everyone is like clamoring after us all the time so i think the the accounts and the people that are getting the most attention are the people who are not asking for attention they're giving so much out so currently with with my stuff like my account is now in full selling mode because I'm in the lead up yeah. to this show. I'm asking people to interact with it. I'm asking people to come and see it. I'm asking people to potentially buy some of it. But I think I've earned that because I haven't asked for anything for the past year. I've just been giving, like, it's just been free content. Here's a painting I made. Here's here's some art. Here's like, here's something that I hope illuminates, that I hope um, brings you brings you pleasure in some way. So I think really formulating those thoughts of if it's something that you found interesting or useful then that's something that you can give away for free that someone else is going to find interesting and useful and I think it's a really good route to go down in terms of not always being on the cell not always being asking for something from people 
Yeah, I think like um, just to go back to what we were talking about before, because there's like one little point more I wanted to make there, and that's to do with like the t- like timing as well, because I think and it reminds me of when we talked to uh, Mark Randolph, the founder of Netflix, and like he'd been talking about when Netflix was first founded, they had the idea of like oh we could do this, but it wasn't the right time for it because DVDs weren't out yet, which weren't small enough to post through a letterbox and make the company actually be able to start. Um, but it's like having the idea at one point but then as soon as actually the time's ready for it things can really like kick into action and I think that's where with note taking it's useful to have this list of notes because I'll be flicking through it six months after I've written it and actually that's the time I need to hear the thing that I've written down and that's the time that it's actually going to become useful it's almost like pre-prepping the ideas before they've even needed to happen and not just kind of like letting them go away because you might find that Actually, a thought you've had now might benefit you in six months' time, but you'll probably forget it by the time six months' time comes around. So I think you know, that's another quite useful thing as well. So quite often I'll go back and I'll be like, okay, that, I wrote that like two months ago. I don't really remember what it means, but reading it now, it now means this to me, and that can kind of like be really helpful and lead you down a certain direction. Yeah, so now flipping back into like the sales talk, I think, yeah, we have this idea of just like we just need to sell something. We just need to get out there. We need to tell everyone. We need to get everyone to follow us. Um, we often do that before we're ready, before we're kind of with our product, I suppose, is good enough. And I think like a good way to think about when it comes to selling your work or kind of shouting about it or trying to get attention on it is almost think about like if you're just a single person, like an artist, like think about your kind of creative endeavor as a business and think about, okay, well, we're going to employ people at this business. We're going to need to pay people at this business to actually work for us. We can't just be like, cool, I'm starting a business. I'm going to employ 10 people because there's not often the money to do that. So think about at what point in the business are you going to employ someone to do sales? Because you're, you're not going to, on the day one of starting a business with no ideas, you're not going to be like, cool, I'm going to hire a salesperson because they're just going to sit around and you're going to be wasting money. And I think having that idea of like, if you're wasting money on this person, salesperson at the start, that's, you're basically wasting your time at the start just shouting about this thing that you're doing I think it's better better if you've got a business if you've got this imaginary business that we're creating is to get product developers get people to make your product as good as possible until it's at a stage where people are like how can I buy this off you like this is this thing you've created looks amazing I want to buy it and then that's the time when you should employ those salespeople. that's when you should start shouting about it that's why I think Tim Ferriss who he's he's built up so much kind of reputation and things over like trust with people that he now can just be like cool I'm just gonna ask for something because he's built up so much and he's like now he's you can go on like a podcast platform you can go on YouTube you can go go to a bookshop almost anywhere you can go to try and get information Tim Ferriss has got so much stuff there for you to go and consume already He's already done that. Like he's got enough evergreen content out there. So now he can just do the asking because the product's already there and he's now in a position to do that. But yeah, I think people at the start, if they just like, oh yeah, buy from me, sign up to my thing. It's like, well, why? And then this kind of makes me think about like Kickstarter campaigns and stuff as well. Because it's like, if you're just a random person, you're saying, oh, I'm going to start a Kickstarter campaign and oh, it's going to be great. It's going to get a million people to fund it. But if you've got no proof you've ever done anything before, you're going to get a lot less people going to sign up to it. Whereas I think where you see people really successful with that is when you get people who have maybe 
started a business before they've already got something they've already got a product that you've liked before you've seen that they've been successful in a certain industry and now they're going to do this kickstarter so you're like well actually i'm putting my money up before this product's even made just based on this idea here and it's like i actually believe that they're going to make this product really good whereas if i'm going to spend a few hundred pounds on something that they're going to create i'm going to want to know that it's not just going to be shit when it arrives and I think with something like Kickstarter, where it's just you're basically buying an idea, having that kind of level of trust based on your experience, based on the things that you've done beforehand, are going to make it sell so much more easy. Yeah, the article, I think it was a Medium article I read, and it was it was obviously quite clickbaity. I think Medium writers are the absolute masters of clickbait, I think. If you want to see clickbait done well, then go through Medium because the articles that do well on there have really mastered how to get their titles that you have to read it. And so it was clickbaity. I, I I fell for it. I went in and obviously the Tim Ferriss thing is 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 very like juicy. It's, it's like, oh, look what Tim yeah, Ferriss yeah. is doing wrong because it's fucking Tim Ferriss who's like the king of everything. But it's it's like you say, he he gives so much. And it's like, even if he asks me to buy a new book, I know that from buying that book, I'm going to get so much from it yeah. because he's got such a track record. And it's, yeah, it's, it's having that track record of selflessly giving, like helping that builds that trust that then when you do actually come from the ask, it's, it's going to be a no brainer. I think Tim Ferriss does that extraordinarily well. And on, on the note of Kickstarter, I've got a friend who's just launched the Kickstarter with the goal of getting £20,000 um, and she's already at, I think, 16000 She's got 2,000 Instagram followers. She's called Georgina Cook, um, Drums of the South, Drums with a Z, if anyone wants to go and check out her work. She essentially documented the dubstep scene uh, as it was growing in Croydon in the very, very early days, in the early 2000s. And she's created a book all around that that time and, and photos of all of these, like, young DJs then who are now like megastars who were um, just like kind of starting out in their career. And it makes me think like we've given a plug to Burst London on here before. It, it makes me think of those those platforms who find those young artists and champion them. They'll always remember you. So now she's gone to do this Kickstarter and she reaches out to dubstep like legendary people like Scream. Of course, they share the book. Of course, they bring up her Kickstarter numbers to to fund the book. Like I think because it's only been going a couple of days and she's already at 16,000. Yeah, it's like yeah. she's going to reach her goal and then she'll probably do stretch goals and stuff because she's got another month left to promote it. So because she had built up all of that good energy and good karma, this is not like she hadn't built up a huge social media following. This is like people. This is real relationships with real people. She had done something for them years ago in like 2006 she's taking pictures of all of these raves that are going on but she was she was the guy like she was the go-to person of like if you're gonna do photos at a dubstep gig it's gonna be georgie c that does it and so through that she's she's got a name that it it doesn't matter that she's got no social following if you if you talk to someone you're like oh who was around in those early days she'd be one of the people that get mentioned so now she's got this book that's going to be a huge success, that's going to grow her social media following, that's going to get a load of attention on her. And it's just, it's it's good karma is like good business, essentially. I think what's interesting there as well is like most people will like will have never heard of her. And she'll put this book out and it will do well. And they'll be like, fucking hell, this person just wrote a book and it did really well. But they won't see that all those years of 
every night that she was at one of those gigs, like the amount of time that she's actually put into it. And I think that's why, yeah, we just need to remember that all the time. Like it's this is what happens every single day. Every time we see someone pop off or do something successful, they've not it's not the first time they've done it. They've been doing it for so long. And I think we need to have more that mindset of the things I'm doing now are going to be like what makes me in the future rather than thinking like, well, I'm going to do something today and tomorrow I'm going to get a benefit from it. And, and then like to double up on that as well, I think it is really important to to not just aim for like the absolute top people in your field. I think it's so worth trying to find the scene that you feel like you're a part of, documenting that, kind of being a part of that in some way that then later on, if it does pop off, because there's a good chance that like, People might have heard dubstep and it just been like, oh, well, this is going to stay underground. It only takes kind of like a couple of producers. Like I remember it was like like when Skrillex kind of did some dubstep stuff, which to a hardcore dubstep fan would be like, that is not dubstep. He's ruined it. But that kind of like took it to the mainstream. And I think that's where you'll probably get so many more people buy this book as well, because it's suddenly like, well, actually now there's a whole massive audience for this book rather than just being mm. the small. Yeah, it permeated into yeah, it permeated into pop music and and became a, a mainstream sound. But this was these photos are from when it was finding itself. It was a baby. Yeah, and I think also what's really nice about that is, is I think lots of people will consume that book not because they like dubstep, but because they're on the wave of the next thing. They want to be like, okay, well, I'm starting this thing that's small now that not many people know about. How can I make that into a big thing? And I think it, it's almost like I suppose in a way you could almost see it as a business book because it will be the documentation of early on in this kind of industry to see like, well, what what was it that happened about that business? And what was it that happened about that to make it blow up and really kind of get people behind it? Because there's a good chance that if only a couple, if like those, the DJs who've started it never played it to anyone, they just like had it for their themselves, then it wouldn't have changed the world. But it become it comes down to those guys kind of make, getting the attention out there, someone hearing it and being like, oh, that there's something about that that I really love and then then playing it to a crowd of people who also love that because I feel like it's a weird one isn't it because dubstep especially it's not like if you'd never heard any kind of form of like grimy music before you'd be like what the fuck is this this is just like the worst thing ever but it obviously came at the room well I mean I I was like that I I remember um Lofar who's like really famous now gave me a cd when I was working at Virgin Megastores and I was about 18 years old and he was like, oh, this is this new mu- music I'm working on. And I did not understand it. And I wish I still had the CD now yeah. because I don't even I don't even know if those are tracks that existed anymore or like or or lived on in any way. But um but I didn't understand it. I was like, it's not garage, it's not drum and bass. What like it's it's weird. It's slow, but it's drum and bassy. I just did not like it or understand it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think so much of things come down to the, the right time. It's kind of as I was talking about earlier with the notes, it's like there's a good chance that that could have just not been the right time for that music and it could have never popped off which i imagine there must be so many genres that so many things that people make like art that people create all the time that the world just isn't quite ready for it yet like businesses that people start when they're like oh this is gonna be a great product this is gonna solve so many things but actually the world's not ready for it yet and i think as well it's like well sometimes the world isn't gonna like it and we just need to accept that and move on to like the next thing but like it is it all comes down to like those few people who are like this is gonna work i've got the passion i think this music is so good that people need to hear it and i think as soon as you've got that feeling about your art 
it's like then it's like okay well i you like you need to get out to the world it's like i remember when we first started our business and we didn't have many clients and my dad's saying to me like what you're doing is great you just need to get people to hear about it and i was like that's so true like we just need to get we need to get ears on it we need to get eyes on it we need like people to know what we're doing and i think as soon as you've got that passion for it it's not just like oh i just want to make loads of money i want those people to just tell me i'm great and give me loads of money it was like what we've got here is something special and we need to get people to understand that there's there's a podcast i started listening to recently and it's called dead eyes and it's about this guy who got told by tom hanks he, he basically auditioned for a role in band of brothers and then Tom Hanks saw him, like got him into re-audition and then told him he didn't have the part anymore because he had dead eyes. Oh. Um, and so he's done this whole podcast about like being rejected from that role and then and then how that's affected his life from then on, because this is obviously like 20 years ago. And he has all of these famous people on his podcast, like um, Janet from The Good Place, who is just the best person in the world ever. Um, John Hamm from Mad Men. Yeah. All of these like really famous people because they're all mates with him because they all started in the same place. And although he's not gone on to become this megastar actor, they have time for him to do Like It's like if we tried to get Janet from The Good Place on our show, it's going to be fucking hard. We're going to have to go through gatekeepers yeah. and whatever. And it's going to be really difficult. And and you you sort of always think like, how how are people friends with like this network of like really successful well-known people and i think it's because they started being friends with them when they weren't successful well-known people and and then when you've got something that you create and you do need people to see see it and hear it like with georgie with her book with this guy with his podcast you you can then rely on those people who have got audiences or are well-known to like kind of bring you along for the ride and that only comes through goodwill that you've built up that you've you've done from them in the past for for us when we when we started the podcast like that was the the exact same mm. route that we went down we we just looked at who who do we know that sort of built up an audience whether it's like 5000 followers or 30000 followers and we like through doing interviews with them and they were happy to come on the show that got the show well known because they shared it with their audiences and it was just a domino effect from there. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to it's like building up a network. It's like the the capital of like friendship, the capital of like people, which I think is something that more people need to focus on because I think too many people focus on just like some like the amount of podcasts that are launched every single day that those people don't know anyone. And it's like, okay, I've got this great product. Like it literally, the amount of insanely good podcasts that are dead now because they started and no one listened to them. So those people who making the podcast just stopped. Whereas if you kind of like, if they've just spent more time being like, okay, I'm not in an absolute rush to get this to market tomorrow. Actually, I'm going to build up a network beforehand. It's like, play the long game on things because it's going to lead to a long game. Like if you don't play the long game, you, you can't be in the long game. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, that's what, yeah, exactly what we did. Like we built that network and it's like, that didn't happen overnight. That was like years of putting in work to get to network, get to know people that as soon as it did come to launching, they could be like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, of course I'm going to talk about that. And that's why we managed to hit number one because of all of those different people that managed to share it on that first day. And again, it's one of those ones where some people come from backgrounds where they just know people. 
and they don't they can just launch that podcast and they don't have to put the effort in because their lives growing up have just put them in with great connections but like we didn't have that and I think it's like if you're listening to this being like oh well I don't have a network you can make a network like you just got to go out and do it it's just going to take the effort to go and form those relationships like find ways that you can connect with people find ways that you can create value for people that make them want to trust you because it's like if you're going to aim for someone of really kind of like high status to be friends with you're going to have to provide them something really valuable to just kind of break down that barrier because it's like if you're you got to think like if you're a celebrity or you're someone with like a big following or you're someone with that's kind of just bombarded by people basically if you're someone with fans like you're going to need to come into this situation where you're not a fan because they're so used to people being like oh you're great oh I loved what you did here and it's like having those kind of conversations that that as the person who's the kind of talent in that I suppose they're so used to hearing that and they're so just being like okay yeah um, this isn't a real interaction this is just like a you're just telling me I'm great we're never really gonna build a relationship out of this but then if you come into it with like a actually yeah I've seen what you've done here it's really good I feel like I could make this better or I feel like I could provide something for you here that's going to improve your life in some way then they're going to listen to you in a different way compared to a fan just coming to you and telling you like how great they are yeah my my advice would be focus on your work um because I think if you focus on the work and the work gets really good then the network does it comes with that because the work that you're putting out the flags that you're planting they get seen by different people and if the work's good the people that see them that are good themselves will say this person's on my level this is a person that I would like to be associated with this is a person that I would like to um, have as as part of my circle it's almost like I I think there's you can go out and you can network or you can just plant flags and you can wait for people to come to you and and I think both approaches work and you should probably have a a fairly even distribution of doing both methods Um, but the first thing when, when you do the outreach, the first thing that people are going to do is they're going to look at your work. Um, they, they're, they're going to assess whether you're the type yeah. of person that belongs in their circle. So so the work has to be good. And so, yeah, it, that that just comes down to practicing. And, and it's, it's so funny, like we get pitched for guests to come on the podcast all the time. And I really admire the people that have the fucking chutzpah to actually like go for it and say yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch to be on this podcast but they're just not ready and you look at their work and you're like yeah th- this is not th- this work is not good enough yeah. because last week we had we had Christian Bresloff or we had Dr Chris Ryan or we had like I mean I think we're on such a run of just incredible guests at the moment and maybe in five years you will be at that level of you're just creating incredible books that that are bestsellers and you're uh, you're writing poetry that is being featured all around the world or whatever it is that you do but like now you're not you're not there yet yeah this reminds me of like I got an email the other day about someone wanting to be a guest on the show and I was like I'm, it just angered me so much because I'm like just don't try and trick me into making me think that you're a great guest just be honest show me what you've done if I if I think it's good enough I'll be like cool come and be a guest on the show uh, basically the title of the email was um it was was basically something like this person's name from shark tank and i was like oh this sounds like really good like obviously this person's on like basically if you've not seen shark tank it's kind of a dragon's den you like us equivalent 
Uh, and I was like, oh, wow, someone who's one of the main people from Shark Tank wants to come on the show. Um, this is obviously coming through like a PR agency. Um, but like, yeah, they, they're probably quite good, which means I'm going to look at them. Uh, so I opened the email and read it. And then I was like, oh, okay, this, this isn't the guy from Shark Tank. This is, there's a f- quote in there that basically says, the, this guy from Shark Tank thinks that this person is good. And it was like literally as simple as that. And then I kind of like looked at the actual person and I was like, well, they've got a couple of hundred followers on social media. They've got no recent posts. Like Googling them on the internet isn't really bringing anything up for them. I'm like, well, there's no evidence in the world that this person is someone that I would want to get on the show because there's nothing, there's no evidence they've done anything. And it's like, you need to show people that you, you've done stuff and like you can prove, like, you need to prove to the world that you're worthy of their time. I suppose that's what it all comes down to is it's like, is your work good enough for them to pay attention to? But yeah, going back to what you were saying before, I think there needs to be the balance of getting people to find out about you because your work's good enough, but then you go and connecting with other people. Because it's like, if you're going to connect with other people, you're choosing who those people are as well. And I think as well, if you just say, oh yeah, just get really good work. And you suddenly get a big bunch of people who are listening to this, who are thinking like, okay, that's great. You've just given me like a get out of jail free card. I don't need to go and interact with any other people. I can just sit doing my work and people will just come to me, which is, I think what a lot of people think about all sorts of business things is it's just like, oh, I'll just keep doing the work and people mm. will just come and find me. Whereas actually going and finding the people who like putting yourself in the right places to meet the right people, like it's like, that's the way to do it because there's, the hundred percent has to be the balance. And I think listening to this, you're not going to, there's, there's no get out, get out, listening to this, there's no get out of jail free card there. Like you still need to go and do the meeting people and like having those interactions even if you're a huge introvert and you hate meeting people, this is somewhere where you're going to have to fake being an extrovert because that's what like, me and David have both done. It's like we're both introverted people, but we now we can fake being extroverted in a way that allows us to go and meet people and have those social interactions which have really benefited us in our lives. If, for example, we'll go back to like Tim Ferriss as an example. I don't think that Tim Ferriss would ever come across my work based on the kind of people that he follows and that kind of thing. So it's like I can keep putting work out forever and there's a good chance because the world is so massive and there's so many people that he would never, ever see me or never know that I ever existed. Whereas if I go to him and be like, oh, by the way, Tim, here's some stuff that I've created. Here's some podcasts that we've done. Here's some guests we've interviewed before that you like. We like. I know that you know this person. I know you've interviewed this person. Then he might be like, oh, this is great. I didn't know you even existed. But based on everything you've done before, it sounds like that could be an interesting conversation and mm-hmm. there needs to be that balance i think of like okay well who would i who would be my dream clients who would be my dream people to talk to and then making sure that you get in front of them in some way and it's patience as well it's like i have no doubt that we will have tim ferris on this podcast yeah. at some point it's inevitable but it's just it will just be a case of when the time is right because he gets pitched at 24 7 um i mean we we managed to get seth godin on the podcast and i mean that's 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 a Tim Ferriss level type yeah. of person who is being asked to do stuff. He's being asked for his time at all times. Um, and that's that's someone that we managed to get. And through having Seth, that's a that's another tick on the list that's going to make us more likely to get Tim Ferriss because yeah. the two of them are friends and it that that works well. That's how I got Chris Ryan recently. Um my message said, we've interviewed your friends, Gabby Reese and Laird Hamilton, which is still crazy when you think about yeah, it, that, yeah. we've, that we've interviewed those two, like absolute legends. Um, and so 
Chris was just like straight away. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. Um, because we had the social proof of if it was okay for two people that he trusts the opinion of, then it was going to be okay for him. Yeah. And I think what's worth remembering is I was just like to interview Seth Godin was 11 years of our career of like getting through all of that. It's like we, if we'd have started the podcast 11 years ago, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have had the connections. We wouldn't have been able to grow it to a stage where we did that allowed us to do Seth and interview the people all the way, all the way before that. Like if you tr- kind of trace it backwards, you can probably be like, okay, well, this is the reason why this is happening. This is how we got to interview Seth. And then you go backwards and like, well, that's because we met this person here who was in this industry. And then they only found us because they'd listened to us here. And it's like, you can trace it all the way back. But then we only started pod- podcasts because we'd had the kind of like, level of freedom to be able to do that at that stage in our career and it's like that wouldn't have happened if we were four years earlier there and it's like you can trace it all back but realizing that yeah if you if you're straight out of uni you're not going to interview Seth Godin tomorrow it might be 11 years down the line which sounds mental but it is this kind of building block and some people will as you said like when we talk about celebrities like just know Seth and they'll have their family friend will be Seth Godin and he'll get straight onto the podcast and you'll be like how the hell did you do that but that'll be through some little way that you'll never really know about because it'll be some like really loose connection somewhere but yeah and like that is a six degrees of separation and like I've done this numerous times where I'm like okay this is someone I want to shoot with how can I shoot with them because I've dm'd them and they've not seen it and I've dm'd them again and they've still not seen it and I've replied to a story and they've not seen it so I was like how can I get in front of this person so it's like, well, who do they know that I know? Or how can I help someone that they know to be able to get to them? Or how can I help someone that might know them, that might know them, like in this chain sequence of getting to someone? And everything's possible, I think. I think as long as you do the research and be like, be like okay, well, who are they following? Who do they know? How can I help someone they know? How can I get to be someone that isn't approaching them like, oh, I'm your fan. I want to work with you. It's like, oh, I've helped someone you know, so I want to help you as well. And I think going in from that side route is so much easier than going like directly to them because directly to them is the same as every single other person. It's like what everyone's doing in terms of just bombarding them with like pointless messages about like, oh, you're great. Here's a fire emoji to your story response. And it's just like they're flooded with kind of people trying to get in touch. A quick, a quick hack on that though. Um, one good way that I've found to get to people direct is hit them up on the social media where they have the fewest followers yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's going to be the least hack- hectic for them. So if you find someone on TikTok who's got a million followers, guarantee you when you click that Instagram uh, icon on their TikTok page, it will take you to an Instagram that has vastly fewer followers. If they're killing it on Instagram, see if they've got a Twitter and if their Twitter has thousands and thousands less followers, then try and DM, DM them on there. It's it's because when they open the app where they have the least followers, they're going to open it less often. But when they do, your chance of capturing their attention on that platform is going to be so much more because they're going to have less incoming notifications. Yeah, like I've done that before as well, where I've seen people who own a certain brand or something, or they've got a separate page that's their art page or something. And it's like, okay, well, this is a yeah. 200,000 account. This other one's only got 10. So I'm like, well, I'm going to message them on there because you're much more likely to get seen because especially if it is a really big account as well, then like quite often they just don't check that kind of extra inbox because it's like, it's so like, it's just such a headache because there's so many things in there. Mm. So I'm just going to ignore that because that can just be like the spam folder. And also I think email is the great leveler 
because as soon as you message on a social platform, then they're going to look at how many followers you've got. And if you're way off of their number, then there's a there's an imbalance there. Whereas if you find an account that's got a million followers and you send and you click the email button, then all of a sudden you have a chance to pitch within your email to capture their attention without followers being a metric that they're even going to look at. Um, which is is that's a, a method that I've used to get people on the podcast. I mean, our l- relatively low number of social media followers is not going to be is not going to be attractive to them and it might put them off if we dm them whereas if we send them an email and say here's what we're trying to do here's why we're trying to do it then that's um that all of a sudden eliminates them then you're just speaking as like regular people message someone on social media takes no effort and no time which means most people will go and do that because most people are willing to put in the least effort and the least amount of time to do anything so i think by emailing it kind of shows that you're willing to put in more time because it is harder and less people will bother to go and do it because it's like no one wants to send an email but it's just like a hi hi how's it going would you like to come on a podcast fire emoji send like it just doesn't look the way that an email should look so it's almost like it forces you into making an effort there and especially like you can't attach a pdf to um an instagram like dm whereas you can to an email which is going to make you look so much more professional and i think yeah coming at from a more professional angle is always going to be better than just going into it with like a yeah cool let's do something i really want to get henry rollins on the podcast um he's like i just think he's one of the most interesting people on the planet and i've looked at different ways of contacting him and i really think that a letter is going to be the best way to go i found a mailing address for him um and i'm going to give it a go and it's interesting i was i i just went through a binge of listening to henry rollins uh interviews a couple of weeks ago and he did a podcast that's like and it was a really unknown podcast and it's basically just a friend of his and he was the he was their best man at their wedding yeah. and they i like it's just this like young couple who have no audience and it's just because they knew him he's like yeah sure i'll do your podcast but for us it's like we don't know him so we're gonna have to go that different route and i think we've talked about the third door before i think the third door might be that that handwritten letter i mean even then it's probably unlikely. I think like he's him and Rick Rubin are like on, on my like top of their, they're like my dream, dream, dream guests, which everyone will. I mean, they'll be the ones where I'm freaking out the most and everyone will take the piss out of me because like I get overexcited <laughs> about having certain guests. Um, but, but like, yeah, those are the ones that are going to be, they're going to take that extra special. It's either going to be, we find a connection of someone who knows someone or, or we go that extra mile and we manage to um, attract their yeah. attention that way. And I suppose that is like how much effort you're willing to put in to go down that route. Like how much do you want that guest? Because what you could do is the man who's the best friend, you could be like, oh, I love your podcast. I'd love to create you a painting around your podcast or mm. something. And then suddenly you're now getting in with his mate. And then it's like, so the same way we got Jamali Maddox, like when we interviewed Reggie Yates, we were like, oh, you know so many people. Jamali is someone who we would love to have on the show. And we know that you know him. Could you introduce us? And I think that's so powerful as well. It's like, I remember when I shot with Melissa Hemsley ages ago, I was like, after the shoot, she was like, oh, it's really great. And I was like, oh, if there's anyone else that is inspiring, interesting to get to know that you know, like it'd be great if you could like recommend me or if you could kind of put me forward to anyone you might know needs a shoot or anything. And then within 10 minutes, I had like a CC'd email where she'd emailed 10 of her kind of closest friends being like, if anyone needs a shoot, this guy's really great. And I was like, and then from that, I then got like three different shoots with different people 
who then one of them ended up becoming one of the guests on the show. And it's just this like mm. this mad loop of like just asking the people that you already know can also be a great way in, especially if it's someone who you've gone to help for free. You've you know that they know the people that you want to get to know. So it's just asking people, I think, can provide so much value. Yeah, I, I mean, we've we've spoken sort of this. This has been a, a heavy networking episode, but I, I, I just think it's so important because every good thing that happens in your life is going to be down to other people. Everything that happens is because someone has said yes to someone, is because someone has bought your work, someone has displayed your work. It's like all of the decisions are down to people. It's like I'm putting on a show if if no person comes and views the work, then that, then what was the point of doing yeah. that show? It all comes down to, I mean, it's, it's a flag. I've, my show is a flag. And if no one comes and sees that flag, then it's a crap flag. Like ev everything is down to other people. Every mad, insane dream that you have can be made reality by a certain person on the planet. And so it's just finding out where those people are and, and, and it is a patience game because it, so much of it is is getting on the radars of people who are then going to put you on the radars of other people. It's su it's such a step by step process, and I think I think the reason why we talk about the podcast so much is because it's such a good metaphor. It, it clearly demonstrates that when we started off, we had these guests, and that's led to these guests, which has led to these guests, and it's all this this kind of spider web of of who knows who and who can connect us with who and who will do a favor and and who's got a book to promote so they can come on the podcast to promote their book and it's like us doing things for other people but they're also doing things for us it's like this ecosystem that if you extrapolate it out i guess is just all human behavior and and helping other people builds up this this trust and this loyalty that when you need help those people will be there for you yeah and i think as well like as you were talking about kind of your show and stuff there i was thinking like well obviously it is planting a flag but then it also allows other people to share those flags as well and i think this is where this i suppose this is where we can go a little bit deeper with the flag metaphor as well and like if you can find people who aren't trying to plant their own flags everywhere they're almost their bodies that can help you share help you grow your flags and help put flags out for you and i think that's what when it comes to putting on a show when it comes to putting your work out there it's worth thinking like well there's gonna be lots of people who have the time to go and share these to go and put more flags out for me how can i make that as easy for them as possible to do when it comes to restaurants or cafes that blow up online it's all because they've managed to create something within their store that is like an instagram shareable moment or something where they've basically made mm -hmm. it really easy for people to go and share their flags for them. And can we somehow find a way to, in all of our creative endeavors, make it really easy for people to, if they want to share a flag, to share it. So like whether that's you, one of one of your pieces, having like at David Speed UK in the corner, because it's making it really easy for people to know that, okay, if I take a picture of this, that's the tag to go with it. It's then really easy for them to share online and tag the person mm -hmm. who it's from. So then it leads back really nicely. And yeah, so what? I mean, the, the funny thing about that is that I don't even leave my name on them anymore. Um, so that, that like, yes, it would make sense if I left my name on my pieces because more people would tag and share my stuff. Um, but it's got to the stage where 
I feel like enough people know my work that now when someone posts it up and they don't tag me, I then get tagged in the comments by someone who does know my work. So, um, and I also like the idea of people having to do the work to find out who the artist is. Um, so I don't actually do that. But, but yeah, yeah uh, but yeah, for anyone starting, I would definitely recommend that they do make it as yeah, easy yeah, for yeah. people as possible. You need to. It's counterintuitive. What I'm yeah, doing for yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah, don't don't take David's advice there. <laughs> like literally, <laughs> you mean to make it as easy for people to share put a flag down for you as possible um because it's like what's mad is there must be so many things so many pictures of your work out there online that people don't have that connection to show it someone's on holiday here someone's visiting for the day and they're taking that picture and it's gone up and then there's never been that exposure there um yep so yeah and i think like even with like if you do have a show then it's like okay well what part of that can be an experience that people can take away and share with other people to like build up momentum because it's like you as a single person only have so much energy to plant so many flags in your life so it's like how can you recruit an army of people to plant those for you like the fact that we've mentioned tim ferris probably seven times in this episode we're planting flags for him we're getting awareness for him out just by him making tweets that are about selling things we're now spent this episode selling him in a way and it's like mm. getting people to mention you is just a, such a great way for things to grow like that's how things pop up that's how things pop off in the media when you've got yeah people talking about you when you're not even doing anything it's like that's how celebrity happens when it's like they're not trying to do anything anymore yet you're reading about them all the time because they've managed to build up something where people are planting flags for them without them even trying yeah which which comes down to something we've said before make shareable content make things that other people are going to want to to put out there for you and that is, it's a it's a hard thing to do. It means you've got to develop a style, and and it and it'll probably take a long time for for you to work out. So if you're not at that stage yet, don't worry. I think just it's just the message is just keep going. Like it it does it does come, and I I think I mean this this podcast. So many of you have shared it with your friends because because you got value from it. So by us just putting this out into the world, we know that there's like a lot of you listen to this and we'll never share it. And like, we're, we kind of know that and we're okay with it. We'd much rather if you did, but there's enough people that listen to this and share this, that this podcast continues to grow because people find it really useful. So it's like, what can you, with your work, what can you put out there that it's going to, what, like, what are people going to take from it that they're going to want to show other people? It's like, um, when you think of certain clothing brands, like if you think of Supreme, I mean, it's not a brand that I'd ever wear, but if you think the way it's just plastered across the front there there's there and that comes i mean again we we could get into talking about status which we've spoken about before but it's it's that's identifying the tribe and it's going but but every time someone wears a supreme t-shirt they are flying the flag for that brand they are saying and i i, I and then and then a potential customer is going to look at that guy wearing that t-shirt and go oh is he the sort of person that I want to be like, yeah, he is. Oh, I think he's really cool and he's got like nice hair <laughs> and he wears a Supreme shirt. I'm going to wear a Supreme shirt so I can be like him. So what can you create that people are going to want to be a part of? Like they're going to want to express the same ethos as you and work out how you can build those those people around you. It's Because um, it's amazing how powerful it can be to start building that kind of content. Because it's like I've seen a massive change in like my career where it's been like now everything that I produce, someone will go and share on their feed to an audience that are likely to buy my thing. 
So it's like every time I've literally almost every time I kind of open my Instagram and I've been like, okay, this person's tagged you in this picture, this person's tagged you in this picture, this person's tagged you in this picture. I can then almost guarantee I'll go into my emails and there'll be an inquiry in there being like, can we come and shoot? And it's like, it, that's, I suppose that's how vir- virality happens. It's like, as soon as you've got enough people talking about you, then it's like everyone who they follow, if they're also your audience, which I think is really important as well to make sure that the people who share your work, it shares it to an audience that is someone who could come and buy from you. Because it's like you could share it to a million people, but if those people are never going to buy from you, aren't interested, then all you might do is get a follow from them. But that's never going to equate to actually turning your creativity into a career. Um, So it's just having that thing where your work is shareable. And I think you can do that by just like helping some people in other, like how is your work benefiting other people? And even if that's just like making them look look good, making making them look cool to their group of people who they want to look good in front of which i suppose it all that all falls into brand and i suppose that goes into the supreme metaphor as well it's like what supreme are doing is they're making you look cool to the other people who think supreme are cool and it's like just as simple as that so it's like how can what you do give someone status in some way to the people that they hang around how can you make them look cooler how can you make them look better how can you provide them with information that's going to improve them in some way Mm, i think enriching people's lives is is that's the key it's so important and when i look at the feedback that i get from my paintings it's like someone who bought my one of my paintings recently told me about where they were going to hang it and they were like every time i visit this place it'll be a little piece of shoreditch and so for that person my work reminds him of Shoreditch yeah. and all of the the sort of fond memories that he has of his time there um and that that was really interesting for me and it's really interesting of of the feedback that i get of like the of how my work has enriched people's lives and that's um it like I, i'm not saying this to to like blow my trumpet i'm i'm really trying to say this for people to try and work out what they because and especially if you are an artist if you're a visual artist because i think it's the is the hardest thing to do because it was the hardest thing for me to do was to actually understand that my work could enrich people's lives because i think so much the narrative around art is that um it it doesn't mean anything it's the only thing that people buy that has no function the only function for is for you to look at it. Um, and so actually allowing myself to say, yeah, people do look at this and they do get something from it. They do feel a feeling when they look at my work. And that's why I changed my my Instagram profile to say illuminating lockdown, because that was the overwhelming feedback that I was getting was that people were making my work a part of their lockdown walks. And that was so like humbling for me I guess like to to realize that people going out of their way to like walk past my work every day getting really excited when they found a new piece and then wanting to own that and that being a, a, a memory for them of like if they've got one of my paintings in their house then they are looking at that and getting that illuminated feeling that that light up feeling that they got from when they saw my work in the street and that was is really lovely to me but it's something that I remember and I make it part of my marketing and I then try and make that part of my whole story so I'm trying to illuminate I'm trying to with the work I create I'm trying to make people smile I'm trying to make them look at it and feel something like um 
when I do my skulls, it's all about like memento more and, and seizing the day and like going out there and getting it. And, and that's why I can be, I, I was, I was interviewed recently and asked sort of why I put my name, my real name out in the street instead of having like a tag or a pseudonym. And it's because, because of this show, so much of my real me is out there that there's no separation. Yeah. So I love like being able to talk in my work about like, no fucking go and do the thing. Cause that's what this show is about. And it's, it's so, um, this show is obviously so special to me and it's really nice that there are themes that run through both my work and through this show. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is I've kind of worked out what my meaning is, what my purpose is and what, what people get from my work. So I can then focus that around when I talk about my work, those are the themes that I'm hitting and knowing that there are, there is an audience out there that they resonate with those themes and they feel those feelings when they own my work. So they want to own the work. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think the word you said most there is feeling. And I think that is everything. It's like, I can't remember who said it to us recently on an episode, but it was, we're basically talking about if you can make someone think and feel in a short period of time, I think that's what we need to aim for. And I think this is why you're probably seeing more success now than when you just did photorealism, because it's like that made people think, oh, that's cool. But it never made anyone feel anything. And I think that's probably where mm. the difference lies. And as I said, unless you just did really emotive things all the time, it's like, oh, here's a sad person crying or something all the time, then yeah. that's not really going to affect anyone in the same way. And I think this is where, as creatives, we need to think like, okay, if we're a conceptual artist who does like kind of splats on canvases or really abstract kind of things, it's like, how's that going to actually make someone feel? Like, and yes, it might make you feel something. You might be trying to get your emotion across. But if if not enough people look at it and feel something because there's no story attached, they don't think about like, oh, this is mm. really interesting. So it's just, yeah, it's like, does it have a story? Because if it has a story in it, then there's gonna that's going to invoke some form of feeling if it's a story told well. And... I think it's like thinking about like what kind of feeling can you inspire in someone and when I think about when it comes to like the different artists and stuff that I'll follow on social media there'll be some people who actually their content doesn't make me feel anything apart from like that's cool I would like to be able to do that myself and even if it can be that it's like that's the work is so good that it's inspiring me to be able to if I replicate that I will be able to be as good as that one day but I suppose that is then more of a your, your audience is another artistic crowd. Whereas actually, if you want to start hitting the public, then it's going to need to be something where your work can be insanely talented, but unless there's something there that they, connect, they can connect with in some way, that they think like, oh, I can see myself in this image. I can, this reminds me of this place in time. This reminds me of this kind of thing. Like, that's, I think this is why paintings of things like the nostalgic work so well, because it's like they see something and instantly they feel something. It's not because of your painting, it's because of the imagery that's in there. Like, like, oh, that reminds me of being a kid and watching this specific cartoon. Or this reminds me of when I was 17 and we went to see that movie and the point in my life when that was. And I think that's why the person who's now got the piece of yours that reminds me of Shoreditch, that reminds them of that time. It's the feeling that they had. It's like just that visual image is now nostalgic to them in a way that kind of seeing an N64 for other people is like, oh my God, that reminds me so much of my youth. If this episode made you feel something, 
then we'd love it if you shared it on your stories or any sort of social media platform. Or if you told a good friend about this podcast, it would mean the world to us. Uh, Let us know what you'd like us to chat about next. This is your show as much as it is ours. And uh, yeah, get back to the studio, get back to work, fucking start creating, make some flags, make some cool shit. Meet some cool people. (laughs) Meet some cool people, take over the world. Uh, You can do it. We believe in you. See you in the next one.